Good morning, church. Today's scripture is found in Mark 8, 34 through 38. Please stand for the reading of the word. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for many sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him and the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This is God's word. He may be seated. All right. Thanks, Penny. Good job, honey. Um, all right. Well, hey, we are in Mark uh, 8. And um, if, if, we, if you are aware of today, actually, this is also family service. And so uh, families, parents, we're glad that you're here. Um, it may be a little bit noisier in here than normal. That's totally fine. Uh, parents just lean into it. We're happy to have your kids here. And then also uh, kids and those of you who honestly may have a hard time just paying attention to service too, there's some Bible bingo um, also. Uh, just it's always kind of a benefit and something fun to do for our kiddos. So uh, we'll jump into that in just a minute. But um, we're, we're excited to be in Mark again and we're excited to see what the Lord has for us as we consider uh, this, this next section of scripture starting in Mark 8.27. So hey, as we uh, jump in here... Uh, I think about um, this summer, and as this summer is coming up, it's actually cel- we're celebrating uh, 19 years of, of Wedded Bliss to my wife, Katie. Uh, so looking forward to that. And um, yeah, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, it, is a, it is an accomplishment. It's great. Um, so yeah, actually, I'm not sure what we're going to do for our 20th year. Uh, I think it's, that's a pretty big deal, so we should probably get on that. But um, we got married in 04, and... Um, you know, around three years into our marriage, I got this crazy idea, and I realized that um, other than barbecuing, I really hadn't cooked much for, for Katie. Um, hadn't cooked much for us, and as you guys kind of know, even if you're, sing- if you're uh, just, you know, married without kids, um, sometimes it's hard to cook for two people, and so we probably went out to eat a lot, to be honest, and there was a lot of that, and so I realized that I wanted to do something nice and home cook a meal for her, and uh, really spend kind of the day and do that. So I had an afternoon off. I decided that I was going to make lasagna for her. And so this is going to be a, a great meal. I was excited about it. I like lasagna. And so I got all the cheeses and all the noodles and the you know, mozzarella and ricotta cheese and, and all that stuff. I looked up online how to, how to make a great lasagna. And, and so I put that together throughout the afternoon. And then I also got myself looking good, right? I set the table, uh, made sure that she came home to a, not only a nice meal, but to just a great environment. And so uh, she gets home from her job you know, around five or six, and I say, surprise, I made lasagna. And um, she didn't say anything. And I'm like, oh, you know, she's speechless, right? So that's, that's great. <laughs> and uh, she kind of like poked around and, and looked at lasagna. It's like, she's like, oh, that's, that's nice. That's nice. I don't like ricotta cheese. And as you know, like, ricotta is like one of the main things in lasagna. So I was like, oh, okay. And, and since then, she's uh, come to enjoy ricotta cheese. But, but it was one of those kind of experiences that sometimes people have in, in life, in marriages and friendships, where you kind of think one thing's going to happen, and you have this expectation and this hope of what's going to happen, and it doesn't turn out that way. Because I, I knew with all my heart that it would be great, right? There'd be this moment and this crescendoing music that comes up. And, and I learned that day that if I want to do something special for my wife, I should do something that she thinks is special, 
not just me, right? Um, what I think may not be near as important as what, what, as what she thinks. And so this is true for us uh, in our spiritual lives as well. And what could be more discouraging, right, to be working hard at something, you're doing something for Jesus, something that you think he likes, something that you think will please him, only to find out that you're wrong. And I, I would actually imagine there's a lot of people in the world who spend their life working for Jesus when, in fact, they're, not, they're doing nothing to impress him at all. And unfortunately, this is exactly the situation that disciples find themselves in in Mark 8 as well. It's this momentous occasion in the Gospel of Mark because the disciples rightly confess Jesus as the Messiah. This is a big deal. This is a, an amazing moment. But they wrongly understand what that declaration means. And it's important we understand that kind of difference. They, they expected the Messiah to bring earthly victory and Jesus says, no, actually, what's going to happen is now there's going to be suffering and death. And they're like, that's not exactly what I expected to hear. And, um, and, and what's, what's amazing is, is even though they're wrong, uh, Jesus doesn't just wash their hands, his hands of them, says, forget you, I'm going to find some new people. He teaches them. And he says, look, let me explain what this means for you and I. So if you were with us last week, we saw Jesus do this unique thing where he healed a man who was blind. Uh, he was able to see. It was a progressive healing. It, it came in two stages. And it was this sort of kind of like meta uh, example parable of, of how the disciples, sometimes they didn't quite see clearly, but over time, God fully helped them understand what was going on in the surroundings. And, and as a result of this morning, look, I, let me just kind of put my cards on the table. I want all of us in this room to confess Jesus as Lord. I want you all to confess that truth. That's the only reason I'm in this line of work. And I want to give you that opportunity to do that. But before you do that, you need to rightly understand what you're committing to. And that's what this passage is all about. Understanding what does it mean if we confess Jesus as Messiah, that means we need to live accordingly. If we confess him as Lord, we need to live differently as a result of that. Those things go together. It's not just what we say. It has to impact how we live as well. And so looking at Mark 8, 27, when it comes to the identity of Jesus, there's a right answer and a wrong answer. And it's important. We want to answer correctly, right? And so that's the first point this morning. Answer correctly. And that's what Peter does here in verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, and others said, Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Caesarea Philippi, by the way, is about 25 miles north of Bethsaida, which was where they were to start with, it would have been about a day's journey. And so it's about as far north as you can go in Israel while still being in Israel. It's still a Gentile region, but the town itself is centered around this, this temple to the Greek god Pan. And as they're on their way, on this kind of road trip, they start to talk, right? So you can kind of imagine this group of people walking and talking, and maybe you guys enjoy road trips. Anybody been on a road trip lately? Road trips, anybody? No? Here and there, okay. So 
Uh, I, I remember during COVID especially, road trips were really popular for, for our family, just even short ones, just to kind of get out uh, and stretch our legs a little bit. A few years back, actually, we went to Kansas to visit some friends. And when you're driving on the way to Kansas, there is nothing to see, right? <laughs> and eventually, you have to kind of just turn and talk to people in the car, right? So kind of imagine that they're just walking all day long. They're eventually turning to one another, and they're, they're starting to chat, just about random stuff. And so Jesus says, hey, guys, what's the word on the street about me? Uh, who do people say that I am? And so they, they go through the answers. John the Baptist. Some say Elijah, maybe one of the prophets. And, and just to be clear, guys, before we kind of brush past this, to any Jewish kid, these mentions would have been huge compliments. This would have been a big deal. Right? Like these guys were like the rock stars of Scripture. So like a kid on a basketball team say, saying, hey, man, your game reminds me of like Steph Curry shooting and right, Chris Paul's passing and Anthony Davis's defense, right? Like all those put into one. That's great news. Aren't you happy about that to be compared to these guys? But what's unique about these guys, Elijah and the prophets, is all of these guys are the guys before the guy. They're not the actual guy. They're the guys coming up to the guy. None of them were the Messiah. And so nobody said, people think that you're the Messiah. People are, are talking about that. You may be the Christ. You may be him. And to understand that, we need some explanation. And so let me just kind of sidebar here into Messiah 101 for just a second, okay? Here's how the Jews saw this notion of the Messiah, the Christ. From their estimation, Jesus acted very un-Messiah-ish. That's not a word, but that's now a word, right? They expected the Messiah, the anointed one, to be this warrior king to free them from the Romans, that's what they had in mind, to rule as king over the nation of Israel. It was very political. It was very contextual to that time and age. And so then there's Jesus, though. He shows up. He's wandering around Galilee, healing people, kind of floating around, like saying nice things to people, right? Like hanging out with kids. There's no swords. There's no political rallies. And so as, as, as time passes, they're walking and they're talking about, hey, who do people say that I am? They pass around the sunflower seeds again, right? And Jesus takes it deeper, and they continue this trip, and he says, so who do you guys say that I am? Who do you guys say that I am? And Jesus, like us, is anticipating a different answer, right? Because the crowds, they don't know Jesus the way the disciples know Jesus. But you've been with me, and you've seen all that I've done, so who do you think that I am? What do you think this is all about? And Peter answers first, and he says, you are the Christ. Christ being the Greek translation of the Jewish word Messiah. You are the anointed one. You are not the guy before the guy. You're the guy. You're him. You're it. Here's the thing about this confession from Peter. This is monumental because they understand something that has been a, a secret. It's been like the secret treasure all throughout scripture. And now they see it uh, before anybody else has a seed it. Jesus is a Messiah, which is why Jesus says, be quiet. Remember, why does Jesus keep telling people to be quiet? It's because of the Messiah 101 thing. If the word gets out that Jesus is Messiah, everyone's going home, sharpening their swords, they're buying ammo, they're putting up posters, they're like, we're going to get this thing going, let's get rid of the Romans, let's make it happen, let's go Jesus, Right? 
And, and Jesus is on a different timeline completely. He has some things to accomplish before all that happens. And so he's like, let's just keep this on the down low for right now. But the disciples are different. They're, they're a product of their culture. Like they would have grown up, the disciples would have grown up in, in a day where maybe like their grandma or their, their mom after a bad day at school would have said something like, you know what, you know, one day the Messiah will come and, and he will rule and we will be free and all of these hard things that we're experiencing will no longer be an issue. And this is what they grew up believing. The disciples would have been the first ones to want to sharpen their swords and make the posters themselves. And this is why Jesus is going to teach them what their confession actually means. Now, the temptation for a preacher is this. Uh, kind of dramatic pause, cue the music, and ask you, who do you say he is? But before you answer, again, I want to make sure you rightly understand what we're confessing to. I want you to make the confession, but I need you to understand what that means, and that's what the rest of these verses point towards. Uh, number two, our number two point is this, understand rightly. And that's what we see here in verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said to them plainly, okay, so once they recognize you're the Messiah, Jesus pulls back the curtain and starts to explain all of what that means. And Mark points out that Jesus says it plainly. Now, the reason why he says that is because so far, when Jesus teaches, he does so in parables, right? He, he says, hey, there was a man walking through a village, and then this thing happened. Or there's a farmer walking through his fields, and, and they're sowing his seed. And it's like, what is that seed again? What does that mean? And, and so there's no more parables. There's no more confusing, confusing sayings. Mark says that Jesus speaks plainly. He speaks plainly. He speaks straightforward. And this is a word for the disciples. But church, it's also a word for you and I to realize that what he's saying here is not figurative. It's not, it's not theory. This is actually literally what's going to happen to Jesus. He says, I'm not going to be an earthly victorious king. Get that image out of your mind. I'm here to be a suffering servant. And so the Messiah that you're so excited about, the Messiah will suffer the Messiah will be rejected. The Messiah will be killed. And three days later, the Messiah will, will, will raise from the grave. And this is a huge difference. This is a huge difference than what the disciples were thinking. They were thinking, we hit the jackpot. This is awesome. We won the lottery with this guy. He called us in. We got in on Apple stock in year one, right? Like, that's what they're thinking. On ground floor of this new administration, we get to rule with him. And when Jesus says is the contrary, he says, I will suffer, I will be rejected, I will be killed, and then I will rise from the grave. And they don't take it very well. Look at the second half of verse 32. And he said this plainly, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter is like, hey, zip it. <laughs> hey, get over here. That's not happening. Heck no, right? Probably stronger language than that, right? Uh, there is no way that's happening, Jesus. Enough of this crazy talk, right? Suffer, die, no way. This is our time, Jesus. You said it yourself. And so guys, go get your swords, buy those markers for the posters, right? Let's make this happen. 
Jesus, you're the Christ. Start acting like one. That's kind of Peter's posture here, right? And in verse 33, it says that Jesus turned and sees his disciples. And I wonder if it's almost like he sees the disciples are buying into what Peter is talking about. And Jesus says, do you guys all think this way? You guys all have the same idea? And so Jesus rebukes Peter. Now keep in mind the word rebuke is the same word we've seen all throughout Mark when it describes when Jesus rebukes the demons. This is strong language. Peter throws down, and Jesus steps up and calls him Satan. Pretty rough. Like, if you're new to church today, like, being called Satan's not a good thing, right? <laughs> it's not like a word you want to just throw around. It's not a compliment. Satan was the supreme adversary to Jesus, always trying to knock Jesus off mission. And that's what Jesus is saying to Peter. He's not suggesting Peter is Satan. He's saying, like Satan, Peter, you are trying to get me off mission. You're trying to confuse the, the, the goal here. I need to stay on mission. You're trying to knock me off, and you're trying to get my mind on the things of, of man, not the things of God. You're looking at it from your culture, your understanding. You're not seeing it from God's perspective. And so the disciples had the right title, but they had the wrong understanding of what that title meant. Man's vision was warrior king. Pretty impressive, pretty amazing. God's vision was atoning sacrifice for our sins. They were almost correct because they anticipated that the Messiah would bring freedom, but they could only conceive of, of physical freedom, of, of earthly freedom. But Jesus came to bring them spiritual freedom from a bondage that was far worse than the Romans. This is a, a, a freedom and bondage conversation that you and I today are still in the midst of. We are still talking about the same type of, of freedom from this bondage because we were born into sin. We are all brought into sin, into this world, world, and we're dead in our sin, and we need forgiveness. And so here we are, 2,000 years later, still suffering from the same problem. And today there are still people who would affirm Jesus with the right title, but have the wrong understanding what that title means. Jesus being the Son of God, He's the Christ. But I will ask you, do you have the wrong vision of what that means? Jesus being Messiah, what does that mean to you? Does that mean that he's come to make me fulfilled? Does that mean he's come to make me happy, to approve of my kind of moral direction? Is that what that means? And so my pursuit of happiness honors him. I want to say this morning that Jesus doesn't want you to be happy. He's, he's pleased if that occurs, but Jesus wants you to be holy. He wants you to look like him. And that's what he's calling you to in this life. And our culture holds to things passionately and imports these things on, onto Jesus. But feelings, regardless of how strong they're felt, can still be wrong. They had the right title, but they didn't have the right vision. Make no mistake, Jesus. And I want you to confess him as a Messiah, but, but we need to live accordingly. That's number three. Our third point this morning is to live accordingly. If you want to follow me, he says in, this, in verse 34, and calling to the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to this, he said this to them, if anyone would come after me, uh, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So, so Jesus says, look, if any of you want to follow me, if you want to confess me as Christ, 
and you want me to walk uh, in this way, this is what it looks like. And it may be different than what you thought. And it certainly will be different than what you felt, felt before. Because the life of a Christ follower, it involves this word that is not very fun or interesting, but it's a word called denial. As Christians, we live a life of denial. We deny ourselves. Now, I'm not just talking about like the latest, you know, diet fad that we jump on. We're like, I'm going to deny myself these, this pizza or food after 9 p.m., right? Because I'm Christian, right? Like, or, or even like anything external at all. Like, I'm, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to deny myself a nice car, right? I'm a Christian. I'm going to, a sweet vacation would be fun, but I'm going to deny myself. I'm not talking about denial of external things, although sometimes our faith and our conviction will cause us to deny those things. But I'm talking about something much deeper and more importantly, internal. Because to be honest, it would be a lot easier if Jesus just gave us a list of things that we weren't supposed to do. It'd be way easier, right? But what Jesus is calling us for, calling us towards, is it's much more tricky to get a handle on because he's calling us to deny ourselves. Think about that for a minute. Not something external, but something internal. There's things that, that you will feel like doing, and Jesus will say no, and it means that we need to deny your, ourselves. Uh, everyday things. Every morning, my, 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 my wife or myself, usually her, we, uh, we drive our kids to school, and we approach this complete nightmare of a situation called drop-off. Um, and if you haven't experienced drop-off before in your kind of parenting lives, or even if you do that for a favor for a friend, Okay, so they have an official drop-off line, sure. Like 75% of the people don't use it, okay? They just kind of pull up, they drop their kids off wherever they want to, like in the middle of the street, and they kind of just like crawl through the lanes of traffic. And sometimes people just make U-turns in the middle of the road for no reason. And it's like, didn't I see that car before? They're just making donuts on the road or something like that. And people are, you know, throwing it in reverse for, for no reason at all. It's crazy. It's like the Wild West. Like, how does driving to middle school drop-off make us feel. It makes me want to tear my hair out. Like, it makes me want to, like, cuss at everybody I see, right? Like, even the kids, right? Like, there's, and the world says, go for it. Not, maybe not exactly, but certainly in some ways, express yourself, right? Like, you have the right to, to say what you want to say. Put them in your place, right? And Jesus says, no, deny yourself. Sit down, stand down. But I feel it, right? Like we feel a, a desire to want to express ourselves, but that's so much of the Christian life. Am I right? Like just denying ourselves over and over again. I imagine for a lot of us, at some point, we will be given the opportunity to take the quick and easy way out of doing what we want to do instead of what we know is right. Maybe we can cheat on our taxes, right? No one would know. It's easy. Just move that zero over or whatever, and maybe we can cheat on a test. No one would know. No one would even care, right? Like, no joke about it. Like, like we want to do these things. I want an opportunity to raise my grade. I feel it. I desire it. And Jesus says, deny yourself. Stand down. It's better to fail the test. It's better to, to owe more on your taxes. Feelings, no matter how, how strong they feel, can still be wrong. And as a life, and the life of a follower of Christ, it's it's one of self-denial, to deny ourselves, to take my feelings, my beliefs, and my desires, and make them subject to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. 
What, is, what does Christ want from me? To see like he did, not my will, but yours be done. It's a call to denial. It's a call to death. And Jesus says to those people, if you want to follow me, if you want to be one of my disciples, it means taking up my cross and, and following in my footsteps. Let's, let's zoom out for a minute and remind you that by this time, Mark's readers, those who are reading kind of the first iteration of the Gospel of Mark, um, they're following Jesus. And in the early you know, first century, they are already being persecuted and crucified because of their profession of faith in Christ. And so this hits differently to that group than it even does to us because they are experiencing some of those, those hardships, those consequences of discipleship that, that we probably never will. And Jesus and Mark want to say when that happens, don't be like, where's God in this situation? Like, what happened? Jesus wants you to know Actually, this is the point. This is exactly what I was talking about. You followed me, and you lost your life. No surprise. And thank God that we live in a land with religious freedom, right? Praise God for that. We're not looking forward to that likely, but it's still a part of our personal discipleship that we would lay down our life over and over again, that we would, we would uh, lift our cross to bear. And, and listen, your cross to bear, by the way, is not your mother-in-law, right? It's not some like unfair professor who doesn't get me, right? That's not your cross to bear. If you want to follow after Christ, the death to self thing is still very much at play. We wake up every day ready to give it all. It's denial, it's obedience. To confess Christ as king, as the son of God who gave his life for me, means I have to change how I live. And so as Christians, our lives ought to look different than they used to. In other words, our Bibles, this is not a buffet, right? Like, we don't get to just choose and pick whatever we want to. Like, when we read our Bibles, I want you to understand, this is a set menu. And, and, and so the, the parts that we're uncomfortable with, he's like, eat it up, right? But that doesn't feel right to me, right? Like, kids, like, remember when you're, uh, when you're parents, and, and maybe some of you kids, right, open up your mouth, here comes the airplane, right, here it comes, and you're, you're eating it no matter what, and down it goes. So what a, what a, what a wonderful truth for us, that, that God cares about us enough to force feed us truth. We need that sometimes. And what's wonderful is at the beginning of verse 34, it says that he's calling the crowds to him. He called the crowds to him. Make no mistake, death Denial and obedience isn't for like, like missionaries or, or pastors like me or professional Christians, like the varsity team, right? Jesus says, everybody, bring it in. Here's the message for everyone. If you confess Christ as Lord, these are the marching orders to live accordingly. That's a word for the crowd. That's for everyone. Hey, man, I work at Home Depot. Death, denial, obedience. Hey, I'm nine years old. I don't know what you're talking about right now. <laughs> denial, death, obedience. Hey, I'm 60. I've done my time, right? Like, denial, death, obedience, right? Like, it's, it's the same over and over again. It applies to everybody in this room. This is the Christian life. And I will tell you from experience, this life doesn't always feel good. In fact, oftentimes, it's, it's way more challenging than it should be, right? And it runs counter to our culture, and it makes us have awkward conversations with people. Right? It would be way easier just to believe like everyone else believed. 
But Jesus realizes that. And that's why in the Gospel of Mark, every time he predicts his death, which is three times, every single time he does that, he also gives an encouragement about discipleship. It's like he knows that that's a shocker. That's one of these things that's going to hit really hard. And so he says, listen, this is what the Christian life is about. And he encourages us in the same way. So just like the blind man in the previous passage who gets healed twice, who sees trees first and then sees clearly afterwards, the disciples start to see clearly. We're all in, right? None, none of us are turning back. They all came to see clearly and understand. And so, church, do you see clearly? Do you see what it means to follow Jesus? It's worth it. Even though it's a, it's a paradox at the same time. Look at verse 35. This is what we'll close with. Point number four, the paradox and the promise. Verse 35 says this, For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Jesus does some fast math here, okay? He says, look, you save your earthly life, but you lose your eternal life. How wise is that? Right? Like you gain the entire world and all it holds, but you forfeit your soul. Is that worth it? Is that a good trade-off? No. How does that make sense? Why would you pay for your soul with, with just things that will, are, are temporary? This is a paradox. Two statements that seem to cancel each other out, but if you read them actually again, they start to become true. And in theory, a lot of us understand what Jesus is saying here. We know that the, what the world offers can't compare. We've heard that story before. We've heard that sermon before. We've uh, preached that to ourselves before, that whatever is out there can't compare with what's in here. We know that in our hearts, but in reality, we sometimes live contrary to that, don't we? Sometimes life has to happen in extreme ways, and experiences, uh, there's this moment of clarity, right? This past week in our missional community, we were, were going through the, uh, the book of Jonah, and we were talking about that in our MC, just about how sometimes life happens uh, upon us, it, it happens to us in a way where it causes us to really like kind of think about our whole life. It's like, wow, this is one of those moments that, that really kind of jars us free from thinking a certain way. And it's God waking us up. It's God uh, kind of pulling us up and saying, listen, and then live differently as a result. Because the way of Christ is, is worth it, but it's hard. Look at verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words and this adulterous and sinful generation, of, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The Christian life, as I mentioned before, will put you at odds with culture because this world is adulterous and sinful. And so this world will make you feel ashamed. Even our closest friends, like people who you have history with and raise your kids with and go on vacation with, like eventually at some point, we've all had those friendships and relationships that split because of how we see the Bible, of how we see God's word and truth. And so Jesus encourages his disciples and he encourages us in, in, in verse 38. It's the weirdest kind of encouragement. He says, he says listen, I, I want to give you a shot in the arm because while you're hauling your cross, remember it's the long game. 
The world may think you're crazy, but don't be ashamed of Christ. Live the Christian life boldly. And then the last verse in our passage this morning, chapter 9, verse 1. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. Next week we'll look at when this sort of thing kind of happens. The three of these men that Jesus is with uh, see Christ transfigured before them in all his glory. It's a sight that every uh, woman and man alive right now will, will one day see. We will see Jesus in his glory. And that is what's promised to us because he will return in power in glory. And it will be either the greatest day uh, in all of history for some or the worst. Listen, the, the world and its values have faded away. Um, they're not fading away, they're gone. And we are called to not be conformed to the things of this world, but be transformed through the renewing of our minds that what we see sort of dimly right now will become clear as time goes on, as, as we pray and ask God for that clarity. So, so as we close, I do want to ask the question, who do you say that he is? And, and are you ready, having rightly understood, willing to live according to his call of discipleship? I, I want to encourage you, like, this is, this is a big deal. Like, don't just flippantly say, yeah, I'm in. I'm a disciple. I love Jesus. He loves me. Do you realize that you love Jesus, he loves you, does not make you a disciple? There's much more to it. Are you willing to lay your life down daily for his sake? Are you willing to conform your, your own heart to ask the Holy Spirit to change you uh, into a, a version that's closer in image to, to Jesus than it would be to yourself? Maybe we grew up in churches and people will say, hey, the call to follow Jesus is usually a lot nicer. Um, Listen, the call to follow Christ is the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I know that if I pass the microphone around this room, you could uh, attest to the same thing. But it's not always been nice. And so I, I desperately want you to follow Christ. But it would, I'd be doing you a disservice if you don't fully recognize who it is you're following. You're following the sovereign God of the universe. And following Jesus means denial, death, and repentance and obedience, and it doesn't always feel great, but it is worth it. And one day we'll, we'll, we'll see God face to face, and, and he will encourage us, and he will show us that, that we've chosen correctly as the Lord has called us to it. Let's pray together and bow our heads. God, we're thankful for this time, this morning, for, this, uh, for, for some of us even a stark reminder um, of what it means to follow the call of discipleship. Lord, I, I pray that we would take these things seriously. Um, God, if, if there are people in this room this morning who don't know you at all and are hearing these things for the first time, um, it's, in some ways, I'm, I'm so grateful they're hearing it in this context. Because the Christian life is hard. This is not an easy thing that we are aspiring to. Um, for, for every, you know, mega church that's packed with thousands of people, there are many churches that are small like ours because the, the, the oftentimes people get discouraged in the Christian faith because it's hard. There's, 
discouraging or hard things about it. And so, Lord, would you, um, would you call us sweetly to yourself, but do so um, with our eyes wide open, realizing this is the life that we're signing up for. God, uh, for those in this room, Lord, who uh, perhaps even have a relationship with you, who know you, who love you, who have called upon you in faith, and yet they have not seen their own life in the light of a correct discipleship, Lord, I pray that you would wake us up this morning and you would help us to see what it means to actually be a disciple, to follow you. God, I pray we would deny ourselves that we would we call upon your, your help as we try to obey uh, your call for our life. God, we, we love you and uh, thank you for this time together. Praise your name, amen.